Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope everyone's having a great day. Welcome back to the show. It is almost the end of February. We're in a leap year here, so we got the extra day. But spring feels like it's upon us. I know the weather was kind of rough this past couple weeks here, but it seems to be warming up. I know it's going to be in the 50s in Chicagoland area over the weekend. Our next guest on the New Music Spotlight... Hails from North Carolina. Many of you know her as Abby K. Her Twitter page is Abby K on base at Abby K on base. How are you doing today, Abby? What's going on? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I know we tried to do this uh, a couple weeks ago, but I fell under the weather. So I appreciate your patience. It's great to have you on the show. Been looking forward to doing this for a while. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we all, we, so we always start with the same question to a first-time guest, and that is the essence of the show, which is just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, a performance, a song, or album that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? 2012, I was 14 years old. Uh, my dad took me to see Kiss. It was the first concert I ever went to. We were at the very back of the lawn. It was so incredibly hot that night. And I remember I was wearing the Paul Stanley makeup, of course. I was sitting on his shoulders, and I was staring at Gene Simmons, and I was mesmerized. And that is when I was hooked on rock and roll. Was there a particular moment in the show? Was there a particular song, or was it just the whole package of the makeup and the explosions and all the music? Um, everything was, of course, incredible. That night was uh, probably one of the best nights of my life. Um, but there was one specific moment, um, and look it up, that I was watching Gene Simmons, and I was like, oh, I need to be doing this. And he was, of course, playing the bass, which is what you play now. Um, yeah. I, you know, I grew up being heavily influenced by Kiss. I, I was, I remember being probably about five years old, and this was during like the unmasked era, the dynasty era, where they sort of became kind of a a family show, if you will, where there was. Yeah. You know, the Halloween masks, there was the Kiss record player, there was the Kiss lunchbox, there was all this Kiss merchandise. 
So I was more aware of the entity of Kiss before I heard the music. And it really wasn't until I think I saw him on like Solid Gold, which was a show back in the day that had performances by bands and whatnot. And um, I actually saw them perform with the breathing fire and the explosions. And then the Creatures of the Night album came out and I saw I Love It Loud. But really, the first album I ever bought was Kiss Lick It Up. And I remember the unveiling of Kiss on MTV where they you know, took the masks off or, you know, had the, you know, did, they didn't have the makeup on and it was the first appearance publicly that they did that. So yeah, Kiss was a huge, oh, yeah. yeah, Kiss was a big impact on me as well. Where did it go from there with you? I mean, you know, from Gene Simmons to, to, to what? So after, after that show, um, I started playing guitar because it's the only thing I owned in the house. Um, and, I, I'm completely self-taught. I just started um, playing, and my dad realized, oh, she's actually getting somewhere. So he took me uh, to be in a band, and um, the traffic was horrendous. We ended up missing the entire um, appointment, but as I was getting there, a new band was coming in, and they needed a bassist. So the band manager said, hey, have you ever played bass? And I said, no, but I'll try. So he put a bass in my hand, and at that moment, I knew, okay, I'm not a guitarist. I'm a bassist. What was it about the bass that attracted you more than the guitar? It just felt right. It felt more natural. Um, guitar took a little bit of work for me uh, to figure out what I was doing. But as soon as I got the bass in my hands, I just picked it up and I knew exactly what to do. And as far as writing goes, you know, I mean, you were introduced to Kiss at the concert. You then, be, you know, started playing guitar and you're self-taught. And then, you know, you evolved into a bass player. You know, as far as creating music, was there a moment that a band or a song inspired you to say, hey, I want to try this. I want to I want to write a song, see what I can do. So not exactly a band or a song, but an experience triggered my first song. Um, and that was actually, it should have been me. That happened about a year ago. I auditioned for a band. You know, they told me, hey, you're our best option, but we can't go with you. And I mean, they never really told me why, but I'm assuming it's because I'm a girl or because I'm so young, but I was hurt. And that's where it should have been me came from. Interesting. So that was basically... You, you auditioned for the band. They told you they were great, but they didn't really give you a definitive reason as to why. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, everything always works out for the better, right? Absolutely. You know, I'm still friends with the band. Um, we still talk uh, pretty regularly, but I am glad that they didn't pick me because because of that, I got what I think is a pretty good song. And, I mean, I got to sign a management deal and record my first song, and now it's released worldwide. So I think because of that opportunity that I missed, other bigger opportunities came my way. What was the writing process like for that first song? I mean, what was, I mean, you have never written a song at this point before. And here you are writing a song. What was that process like? It was incredible. It was um, I like to say it was an out-of-body experience. Basically, by the time I had gotten home, out of the car on the way home from the audition, 
I already had the song written in my mind. I kept telling my dad, you know, that should have been me. It should have been me. And I stormed up to my bedroom. And if you've seen the music video for it should have been me, that's actually pretty close to the real story, you know. Um, and that was actually shot in the bedroom that I actually wrote the song in. So that was pretty cool, too. Um, but I stormed up the stairs. I slammed my bedroom door and I wrote the song. And probably 20 minutes later, uh, I, you know, I got myself together. I went downstairs to my parents and I said, I wrote a song and I played the full entire song for them. That's pretty amazing. That is really cool. You know, out of something bad, something good always happens. You know, I always like to say. Yeah. And, you yep. know, if you would have made or if you would have been in that band, you never maybe would have realized your potential to be a solo artist. Yeah, absolutely. So who are your influences in terms of bass? I mean, you mentioned Gene Simmons. You know, who are some other bass players that you listen to that you try to emulate? So, you know, Gene Simmons, he inspired me to start. But since then, um, Steve Harris is my biggest inspiration for bass um i absolutely love iron maiden um and then you have getty lee uh, i think he's an incredible bassist uh yyz i spent probably close to four months working on perfecting that song um but yeah so steve harris getty lee um yeah those are the big ones yeah those are two incredible bass players i mean you know a, a couple of different styles you know steve harris has that galloping bass style um, where Getty Lee is more like almost like a rhythm guitar player for Rush in in, in a sense, you know, where he fills in the gaps, you know, with, with, uh, you know, Alex and Neil. Uh, But they're both stellar bass players. Um, You know, what, you know, in terms of now you just, you know, you released, it should have been me, you know, we're going to talk about the new single dirty love, but have you, at this point, reached a, uh, uh, um, you reached a point where you have your own style of writing, you have your own style of what you want to communicate to the audience? Um, I do think so. Um, of course, I like my songs to be relatable um, because if I enjoy them and if they're relatable, then I think more of a, a wider audience will listen to what I have to say. Um, and... I mean, I started to develop, like, my writing style of, you know, I write the lyrics first, and then I write the music separately, and then I mix-match lyrics to different song music. And, you know, I I have developed something like that. Um, I do try to change it up a bit. Um, You know, Dirty Love was written a completely different way than it should have been me, but I do have that standard way I go to write a song now. And I imagine, you know, being the age that you are, you are still evolving in terms of your musical tastes and, you know, what you want to accomplish. And how do you allow that evolution to take part, you know, within you? Um, you know, I have this thing I do. I try to improve every day because I am so young and I do have so much room for improvement that my biggest goal is not to play Madison Square Garden or, uh, tour internationally yes that is my ultimate goal but my biggest goal since I'm so young is to improve every day because that will get me there and you know what types of music do you listen to now I mean is, is there a wide range is it is it pretty much 
you know, rock and roll, hard rock, heavy metal? What what what's in what's on your palate in terms of your musical tastes? Um, you know, of course, I love all the classics, uh, Black Sabbath, Kiss, Metallica, but since I am a modern band, I am trying to get familiar with other modern and more current rock bands like Hailstorm, New Year's Day, Diamante, um, and of course, also, I love listening to female-fronted rock bands. And how do you think, you know, in terms of as you grow as an artist, you know, what, you know... Uh in terms of writing music, where where do you see yourself going? Is it still undetermined? Do you have a path? Do you have a plan that you want to accomplish? What is that all about? Um, I would say my biggest goal, my ultimate goal, is to tour internationally, play on a huge stage to a sold-out crowd, play one of my original songs, and have every member in that audience sing my song back to me that is like that is my definition of success that is my definition of i have made it do you go to a lot of shows um i guess um i've seen this year i saw kiss twice well actually that was 2019 forgot about the new year <laughs> uh kiss twice iron maiden um and i also see Alice Cooper. I try to see him every time he comes around the area because, you know, I have a connection with Nita Strauss. So I always like to, uh, you know, connect with Nita when she's in town. So, yeah. Yeah, she's an amazing guitar player. And I also like Ryan Roxy, too, who's one of the other guitar players in his band. He's got some great musicians playing with him. Yes. As far as... What's going on now? You know, as, and, and you just released this, the the song "Dirty Love," which I absolutely loved. It was great, great song. Thank you. Um, how has the response been with that song? Um, I think it's been pretty good. You know, um, I think it's been taken to the next level because it should have been me. That was, you know, that was my first song. We didn't really know what to expect, so we kind of had a little bit of a better idea of what we wanted to have happen with Dirty Love and actually just the other day I found out that it was number 72 on uh, the media based iHeartRadio chart so I'd say it's doing pretty good Um, you know I always want I want each song to be doing better and I would say Dirty Love has been doing more things than it should have been me but in different ways you know the it should have been me video uh, we got 10,000 views on that and Dirty Love is doing better on uh, radio stations. So I think it's just different. But, yeah, I'm pretty pleased with it. And what is, you know, the next, you know, step for you? I mean, is there going to be more music coming out in 2020? Is there going to be an album? What uh, what are you currently working on? So I actually just finished recording vocals on my third single yesterday. So we plan to have that out in uh, we don't want to wait as long as we did to release Dirty Love. I think that was about five, six months. Uh, we want to have this one out in about three, four months, maybe May or June. Um, and we will be following that up with some tour dates. We just got back from Baltimore um, on Monday, and we just scheduled some shows in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Tell us about that. What's going on with the shows? I mean, tell us about your band. Tell us about, you know, what types of gigs you're playing. Okay, so uh, Baltimore, that was actually our first show we headlined outside of the Carolinas. Uh, we played at Auto Bar. That was a really fun trip we had. Um, and we just, we actually just booked these shows 
two, three days ago. Um, we're playing at uh, the Boar in Atlantic City, New Jersey on April 4th and the Fire in Philadelphia on April 5th. And then we will be doing some press and media in New York on the 6th. Now, is this all showcase stuff or what, to, you know, are, are people coming out to specifically see you to see, you know, for maybe a record deal or maybe something along the lines of that? Oh, uh, yeah, they're just normal um, opener, direct support headline shows, um, just like a normal concert. Uh, I do think the one in Atlantic City might be a little different. Um, I think that one is more like a showcase, but. Yeah, we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to open for a lot of bands, but in Baltimore, we were the headliner. What uh, What bands have you opened up for? Um, we've opened for Nita Strauss twice, um, and we have opened for Danny Warsnoff of Asking Alexandria and Blacktop Mojo. I just saw Blacktop Mojo this past October. They're they're phenomenal. Oh yeah, they're so good. That was such a good night. Yeah, they put on a uh, a really good performance, and then I took my son. My my son's a little bit of a rocker, so I took him to see. Gosh, about a year and a half ago, maybe two. Actually, about two years ago, I took him to see uh, Black Veil Brides and Asking Alexander. And I had, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I had never seen either one of those bands, and I know he's really into them. So that was an interesting experience for me too, as well. Yeah. So, if I were to peek into your music, uh, you know, library, you know, what types of music, what types of uh, stuff would I see in there? Um, right now, my favorite song would be uh, something by Hailstorm. Uh, probably Love Bites, so do I, Hailstorm. Um, I also really like Motionless and Light. I just saw them at the Fillmore in Charlotte a few weeks ago. Um, and again, just more of those modern bands right now is what I'm focusing on. How do you define success? Um, success is different for every person. Um, it's not one defined thing, in my opinion. Uh, but again, my definition, my personal definition of success is that touring internationally and having everyone sing my songs back to me. And that is what I call success. You know, I saw an interesting interview years ago with Dave Chappelle, and he was asked the same question, you know, how do you define success? And he talked about this conversation he had with his father, who was a professor at a university. And he basically said that if I can make a living doing what I love, I don't have to make millions of dollars. I don't have to make, you know, I don't have to have more money than the, than as far as the eye can see. As long as I'm comfortable living, doing what I love, whether it's, you know, $60,000 a year, whether it's $80,000 a year, whatever, if I'm able to do that and, and, and have that be my, how I make my living, that's how, you know, he defines success. And I thought that was really interesting that, you know, most people define it by, you know, the number of, you know, gold records or platinum records that they have or, you know, how much money they have or how many cars they have. And here was this guy, very humble, saying, if I can make the same amount of money that a teacher does in doing what I love, then that's success to me. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. 
What, um, so you have the new song, you know, coming out here in the next few months. You've got uh, some, some gigs lined up in 2020. Are there any plans to release an album? Um, we're starting to talk a little bit about it more than we were a few months ago. Um, but I do think we would probably do an EP before an album because I do think, you know, my audience is a large portion of it are younger people because I am so young. And I think in this generation, people don't just sit down and listen to music as much as they used to. You know, people will play it on the way to school or on the way to work. But I want each one of my songs to get an equal amount of attention. And I think if I release a full album, some of those songs would be not forgotten, but not heard as much as I want them to be. Yeah, we do live in that type of era where the you know, the attention span is greatly affected because there's so much stimulation, whether it's, you know, uh, the person's phone that they're on, whether it's, um, you know, just on their computer all the time. It's just people absorb music differently than generations past. You know, there was more of a physical yeah. connection where now it's more, you know, download and play. And, you know, you go to a, you know, whether you go to a Target or whether you go to a store, there's music in the background there. So, it's not, I don't know if I would say it's, it's music is not as important. I don't think that's the point. I think it's just absorbed differently and people have a different connection now than they do than years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Now we talk a lot about on this program, on this podcast about the state of rock and roll. And I'm sure you've heard those conversations, you know, whether it's, you know, with Christy or whether it's Mike from Keep Rock Alive or, you know, whether it's, you know, George Lynch giving his opinion or Doug Aldrich. What do you yeah. feel about where the current state of rock music is right now? So actually, this is kind of related to my third single. It's called Rock the Rock. So I actually wrote that because someone told me rock and roll is dead. It's a dying industry. And I was so upset they told me I wouldn't have a future in rock and roll because rock and roll is not dead. Rock and roll may not be as popular as it used to be in the 70s, 80s, 90s. There was definitely a dip. But I do think the dip is coming to an end and it's coming back up. And it's because of people like Tailstorm, New Year's Day, Motionless and White. All of these modern rock bands are, are working to create a better rock and roll scene. So I don't think rock and roll is dead, and I never think it was dead. I think there was a dip in the industry, but I definitely think it's coming back up. Yeah, I agree, and I've mentioned that. You know, rock and roll is never going to die. You know, whether it's mainstream yeah. or whether it's relevant, that's another question, and that's another topic, because I do think it's hurting right now in terms of relevancy, in large part because, well, for two reasons, I believe. One, I think the classic rock band, and I've mentioned this before, has basically shunned new music. Um, you know, rock and roll had a kind of had a, a a slow patch basically around the turn of the of the millennium, where yeah. there wasn't a lot of great rock music coming out, new rock music compared to what had just happened. You know, you had the '80s scene, you had the grunge scene of the '90s. And towards the end of the 90s and the, and the new part of the millennium, there was a lot more cookie-cutter stuff. Not to say that there wasn't 
good stuff coming out because there was, but it, it just felt like there was nothing that was moving the genre forward. So I think, yes. you know, when people, when the classic rock fan says new rock music sucks, I think they still go by that idea of what they heard 20 years ago, you know, or, 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 or 15 years yeah. ago, where a lot of it was cookie cutter and a lot of it really wasn't inspiring. But I think now, um, I think music is starting to connect with the younger generation. It's still not where it needs to be. But I think like the bands you mentioned are doing a great job of, you know, opening, uh, opening the eyes of the youth because that's really where it's at. You know, that, that's the demographic that you really want to connect with because once rock and roll is in your blood and once you're young and you're listening to rock, you're always going to be a rock fan. You know, there's no denying that. I mean, I, I may listen to yeah. other things that I like, but I always go back to the music that I grew up with. And I always go back to the genre, yeah. you know, whether it's new music or whether it's classic music. So I think, you know, yeah. with the classic rock fan, I don't know, I, I, I kind of tend to think that they're a lost cause at this point because they just, they, they, they like what they, what they know. And, you know, as you get older, it's difficult for a lot of people to expose themselves to new music. But I think with the youth of today, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I use my son and I mentioned this before as a gauge, you know, he's 15 you know, and he listens to, you know, a lot of young, you know, rock bands, you know, whether it's Joyous Wolf or whether it's Greta Van Fleet or the Struts or Tuck Smith, you know, Goodbye June. Um, a lot of stuff he listens to that is, you know, new. And I think the music that's coming out is really, really good. The bands that are coming out right now are really, really good. Um, and I just, you know... Sooner or later, it's going to, it all goes in a cycle, right? So it's going to connect again with the youth. Yeah. And, you know, I I think another good way to connect with the younger generation is, yes, my music, Abby K, is hard rock. But it's hard rock with pop choruses and a little bit of indie. Um, and I do try to have those factors in my music. And I've noticed a lot of modern bands doing that. They're rock and roll, but they have, these things that might get a younger audience hooked into the rock music. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's got to have a hook, you know, it's got to have a melody. I mean, you know, it's got to have something that connects with the youth of today. I mean, if the song, you know, I always say no matter what, good music is good music and good music will find a way to connect with an audience, you know, and especially with, yeah. you know, in today's day and age, when you have a lot of platforms where you can put your music on, you know, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or, you know, Amazon Music or whatever, you you have the platforms to do it. You have YouTube, and then you have your social media outlets like Twitter that you're very active on and Facebook. So there's plenty of different ways to connect with your audience and, and grow your audience. I also tend to think, too, that sometimes there's too many platforms because, you know, it's it's hard for someone to you know, decipher where to go to listen to new music. Um, I think yeah. that is a need that needs to happen. I think there needs to be some more infrastructure for rock music for there to be an outlet for people to, you know, to go somewhere that they know. Yeah. And, you know, you got the, uh, for social media, you have all of these different platforms and you have different audiences on each platform. Like Facebook, you typically see an older generation because it's been around longer and then 
Instagram, you have the 20s to 30s. And then Twitter, Twitter, I think that's a little bit of a blend of everything. But then now you have TikTok, and that's ages 12. And I'm trying to appeal to all of these audiences, but it's hard because I have to be active on every single platform because not everyone is on every platform. Yeah, I mean it's 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 very difficult. I mean that's that's a huge challenge because you know you've got to keep producing music, and you know you have the ability to connect with your fans to grow your audience, and you got to keep doing that too. So you're getting you know as a new artist, you can be pulled in several different directions. You know I know there's there's a lot of bands out there that do a great job with their social media, and I do notice that they do pick maybe one or two platforms to really engage with their audience. So I don't know, you know, if that works for everybody, but it seems to be working for, you know, a few artists that are out there. Yeah. What, you know, in terms of, you know, social media and in terms of connecting with, with, with an audience, what, you know, outside of you, you know, having to work, on them all the time how is it difficult to get your message is it difficult to get what you want to convey to them out to you know out to you know your, your audience that you're developing on social media I think um, it depends again on the platform like Facebook um, you know you get a you get to have like a message with that but Instagram you have to post more pictures um, so I I try to grab attention in social media so that they will listen to my music and my music has the message that I want to get across. And as far as, you know, playing to an audience, do do you do a lot of all ages shows? You know, what kind of audience do you bring in when you're playing live? Oh, we do like to do all ages shows. Now there are some cases that we can't because of the venue policy, but we definitely want to whenever we can start being a little more picky about what shows we take we definitely want to do all ages because i do have an all ages audience and it's not fair to the ones that are under 21 if they can't see me um and again then the parents can't go even if they're also you know following me and want to support me then they can't go because you know their kids are also wanting to go but they can't so um yeah we typically have uh probably about 75% 75% adults, 25% kids, um, depending on the show, but we would like it to be, you know, 50-50. Sure. What do you, I mean, when you're listening to new music, how do you find new bands? How do you find new music? I mean, you're still very young, and, you know, your your tastes are evolving and growing. So when you are listening to music, how do you find new music? Um, you know, actually through Twitter is a great way for me to find new music. I'm put in a lot of, um, groups for radio stations and, uh, you know, support groups, basically, you know, keep rock alive, the hook rock. Um, and I'm finding other young, uh, developing artists. And through that, I start following them. They follow me. Uh, it's a very good support system. Twitter is. And I listen to their music, they listen to mine, we share it. And so that's really how I find a lot of my new music that I'm listening to. Because you're in an interesting situation because you are, you know, the youth of today and you are a musician and you're making music. 
So I think it's really cool that as you're connecting with new music, you're also making music. So you kind of know what the youth of today is looking for or wants in terms of their artists, in terms of the music that they're listening to. Yeah. Do you feel that, you know, when you look at generations past and, you know, you, there, there are uh, such identifiable artists, you know, whether it's, you know, David Lee Roth or whether it's Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, whether it's Ozzy Osbourne, whether it's Motley Crue, do you feel that the lack of the rock star is missing in today's music? Um, maybe some aspects of songs, but, you know, I, in my songs, even though I like to include uh, these modern aspects in it, I still have those classic rock, hard rock, heavy metal roots. Um, for example, someone compared my song Dirty Love to Queensryche and Iron Maiden while also comparing it to Hailstorm. And I think that was, that was actually, first of all, that was incredible for me to even have my song compared to that. That was definitely one of my proudest moments. But I think it was really cool that, okay, I can be like Hailstorm and all of these modern acts in this modern generation, but I can still have these classic rock roots. And in as far as connecting with music, you know, like when you hear a song, you know, what what connects with you? Is it the melody? Is it the hook? Is it the lyrics? What what do you look for in a song? So I might be a little biased because I am a bassist, but um, <laughs> and I don't think this is very common at all. Most people connect with the lyrics, uh, sometimes the music, um, but honestly, mine is the bass line. If they have a good bass line in the song. I'm automatically hooked. I love that song. Um, so, yeah, one of the main things I look for is the bass line. And who are some new modern bass players that you like to listen to? Honestly, uh, Frankie from New Year's Day, um, Josh from Hailstorm, you know, just the, the main bands that I like, I automatically like their bassists because I like the band because of their bassists. Well, I mean, you, you do play the instruments, so that does make sense. It's just, um, yeah, you know, I mean, but that that's cool. I mean, because I, I, um, when I was bat- when I was younger, I used to live with a rock band, and the bass player and I would always have these conversations of like, you know, how did you get into bass? And you know, this is this is going back, you know, twenty plus years ago. But he said, you know, I remember hearing the Trooper by Iron Maiden, and I remember yeah. hearing the bass line. And, you know, he was, he was like, what's that? What's that in the background that's playing, you know, that's not the guitar. It's not, it's not the, you know, the guitar playing that, that he was used to. And when he went to, you know, get an instrument, when his parents took him to get an instrument, you know, he went to the guy and he says, you know, the song Trooper, what's that low end playing in the back? What instrument is that? And he's like, that's the bass. And he's like, I want a bass. That's what I want to play. You know, so he was attracted yeah. to that as well, you know, similar to what, you know, attracted you um, in terms of, you know, playing bass and, and, and you know, do you write music on, on, a, on a bass or do you write it on acoustic guitar? How do you write music? Um, again, it's different for every song, whatever the song needs. Um, but I've written songs starting on bass, starting on guitar, electric and acoustic, uh, starting on piano. 
And in one case, I started on drums, which was really weird. Um, that song turned out really different than any of my other songs. But yeah, so it really just depends on what is best for the song is what I'll start on. So you play pretty much all the instruments. Uh, yes, all the typical rock band instruments. Um, basically, having the ability to play bass, you know, bass is a percussive and a melodic instrument. Um, so I have, I think I have a little bit of an advantage that I can go off and learn how to play other percussive instruments like the drums, and I can go off and play other melodic instruments like guitar. So I do think that is one of the main benefits of starting on bass is that you have access to both sides of music. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way, but you know, being able to look at a different perspective of a song through the bass can help enhance the song, make the song a little bit more layered. What inter- you know, obviously you're young. I mean, you're, you you've got all these instruments in the house. You know, how how supportive are your parents with your with your future in rock and roll? They are 100% supportive. I'm very fortunate because I know that's not always the case. But, you know, they've been so helpful for me. And I'm really grateful because I know I couldn't do this without them. Uh, you know, my dad just took off work to drive the van up to Baltimore. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for them. I truly could not do it without them. That's awesome. Tell us more about the band that's playing with you right now. Who's all in it and, uh, you know, how? You know, what's your history with each of them? Uh, so we are just a hired gun band right now, but we are looking to, you know, find that perfect band combination. And I think we're getting really close to that because we had a lot of fun in Baltimore, and then we played one heck of a show. And so I think probably my current band lineup, yeah, I'll just go ahead and explain it to you because, um, so my guitarist is Logan Foland. He's been with me um, since my first show with Abby Kay. Um, and that was probably close to a year ago now. Uh, he's played on all of my songs. Um, exceptional guitarist. And then I have Greg Dampier on drums. Uh, he did not play on my first or second song. It should have been me or Dirty Love. But he did play on Rock the Rock, which will be out in May or June. Um, and then we have Sean on guitar. Um and we have Tristan on piano. And then, of course, I'm on bass and vocals. And then, so this has all been like, you know, hired guns right now, but you're kind of developing into a, you know, a, a synergized unit at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, we did start as hired guns. And I have had Logan from the start. But we are, we're bonding so much and we're getting so used to each other that it would be really hard to you know trade members for a show or two like if someone couldn't be there the dynamic would be off because we've gotten so used to playing with each other yeah i mean that that's a huge thing i mean i've interviewed in the last um month or so you know like rudy sarzo or doug aldrich who've played with several bands and, and, and different, you know, artists within those bands that are always in change are always in changing. And, and Rudy said something that was really cool. I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, having him go through all these changes has helped him been able to adapt to different musicians throughout his career. Now the ideal situation is always to keep a band together. Um, today's day and age, it's proving harder and harder to do just because there's so many different things out there and people getting pulled in different directions. 
but I do hope that you guys are able yeah. to develop your own sound and develop your own, you know, um, you know, the, the band itself is able to keep pulling forward because I think the music gets better if you're staying together. Yeah. And of course, uh, we are flexible. We understand if, uh, you know, someone can't make it to the show, then we do have to trade members and we've had to do that a few times. So we have gotten used to having a different drummer or having a different guitarist, but, um, of course, the ideal situation would be let's play together because we sound best when we're together. What's it like being on stage, you know, at, at, at such a young age and performing your music? I mean, you know, you talked about what your goals are and what your def- definition of success is. But I have to think that, you know, being out there and, and playing rock music, you know, when a lot of other kids are sitting home playing video games, that's a really cool thing. What is that like? What is that energy like when, you, when you're playing? incredible whenever i step on a stage first of all let me say in person i'm really shy um at school i don't really talk to a lot of people you know all of my friends are in the music industry Uh, my band is becoming my best friend so um when i'm on stage i feel like it's where i'm meant to be you know i kind of switch on this we call it the the light switch effect where all of a sudden i'm on i am abby k and i'm there to blow the audience away and then I turn the light switch off I get off stage and I go back to school the next morning and nobody knows like a weird experience happened um the night after or the day after I released it should have been me you know that was my first song I ever released and it was this huge deal to me and to my family and I went to school the next morning and nobody knew it changed no one's life except for mine it was a huge change in my life, but nobody else knew. And I think that's part of just being a teenager that a teenager that does something that normal teenagers don't do. Um, they don't have that experience of having something that nobody else knows. Um, and honestly, most teenagers wouldn't care to know because it is something that's not typically done by uh, a young female. So, I, I do think whenever I get on a stage, that's where I'm meant to be. You know, I was born an entertainer. I grew up as a gymnast, as a dancer, and I've always been on a stage. It's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. You know, when you are the, you know, in, in the age that you are and in, in, in you are part of the youth and, and there's so many, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I hate to keep bringing it back, you know, but I think of my son and I think you think of his friends, you know, where, you know, they're so it, it's it's hard. It's harder to be to interact with one another because there's so many different things stimulating them and to yeah. to understand the experience of playing live and what that energy is like, because it is like nothing else. Um, I don't yeah. know if they have the the under the able the ability to understand that, um, and and really realize how important that is, um, when you are entertaining yeah. or or what entertaining someone is like, you know, like what the interaction of being that entertainer that you mentioned is like. Yeah, I think it's just you know again it's the perspective uh, from my perspective this is changing my life and it isn't impacting any of their lives. 
um, because it's not what they're used to. They don't understand what I'm doing and how much it affects me. Yeah, that's, 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 I, I never thought about that. You know, like, you know, I, I know I've talked with, with Griffin Tucker before and, you know, I wonder if the experience for him is the same as for you where, you know, you're writing music, you go home and you are trying to figure out arrangements for a song and then you've got gigs in Maryland, you know, over the weekend and you're going up to New York and doing all this stuff. You know, I, I, I don't know, you know, what that would be like for someone your age and then not to have the people that, you know, the other kids in your class to like appreciate that, like, wow, like you're kicking ass every weekend and you're writing this music, something that is completely over their heads. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never thought of it that way. Well, Abby, what else you got? Anything else that uh, you want to promote or anything else that you got going on that you want to tell everybody about? So I will say that Dirty Love, uh, I released it on Valentine's Day, my second single, um, is a song about a toxic relationship that you just can't get out of. And most people automatically assume, oh, she's talking about a romantic relationship. And I can be, but I can also be talking about a friendship or a bad situation between a family member. And, yeah, that's Dirty Love, basically. Um, it's out on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music. Anywhere you can hear music, you can hear Dirty Love. And also, you can find me on all social media at Abby K on Base and on my website, abbykonbase.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Again, once again, I appreciate it. I've uh, been looking forward to doing this interview for a while. I love the music. I love the yeah. new song. And I think great things are ahead for you, definitely. Thank you so much. Well, that is Abby K at Abby K on Bass on Twitter. Check out the new single, Dirty Love. It's awesome. You'll enjoy it like I did. This is The Hook Rocks. This is Jay Scott. Thank you again for all listening, and we will talk again soon. Thank you very much. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 